And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait! For the second straight game, the Jets come uncomfortably close to winning, but in the end, they're 0-10 despite a valiant second-half comeback and officially eliminated from the playoffs. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes, our Jets beat writer at The Athletic, and our producer, Marissa Morris. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple as well. Good show on tap. We're going to get into Justin Fields a little bit because I think everybody in Jets Nation watched the Ohio State game on Saturday. Connor wrote about it. We'll talk about it. But we're also going to talk about the Chargers game because that's what we're coming off of. And we're coming to you at 10 a.m.-ish, even though this was scheduled for 10 (laughs) p.m. Connor getting his a.m. p.m. mixed up. But we're ready to go. Yeah, I, I, I give myself a little slack. I mean, I did like the one thing is we schedule these podcasts now, which I think is pretty cool because I think it adds SEO value and all that fun stuff and potentially draws in more listeners. I don't know. It's, I don't think there's any downside to it. So although it was was hell for Marissa to try to figure out how we uh, we were going to make that work early on. And I know we went through we went through a little bit trying to figure out how to how to actually start the scheduled stream. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I watched the game yesterday. I covered the game yesterday. I wrote the game. I, and then I was like, oh yeah, I got to schedule the podcast and yeah, I made a mistake. AM PM. I don't know. I think it's better. We're coming at AM, although I'm curious what the, uh, viewership would be like if we actually started at uh, at 10 p.m. as opposed to a.m. That would be that would be well, I think it's pretty funny because you wanted to I said I was very tired this morning. You know, it's Monday. She's hungover. Marissa over I'm not too, hungover. Yes. I, like I that sounds like someone who I work who's on hung- Sunday nights. OK, Connor. Oh, that doesn't mean anything. Well, I have you 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 covered great. The, you, you did you watch. Oh, no, I was going to say if you watch the Jets, you uh, that's even more reason for it. But. <laughs> The best part is Connor was going to come on here and make fun of me for me saying, guys, I'm really tired. You know, it's Thanksgiving week. It's just a lot going on. And he was going to make fun of me. Yet now he just like makes fun of himself, basically, because he schedules the podcast <laughs> for 10 p.m. So it's karma, Connor. Like even you just thinking about making fun of me comes right back. It backfires. Yep. So okay. don't even I am try. cracking up, though. I don't know if you've you've glanced over here in the chat and the vast majority of people that are it's ten eleven, it's ten thirteen, oh. it's ten twenty-three. It's like, oh my god, I'm never gonna live that thing down. I do that Welcome. cracks me up though. Welcome, it's six thirty. <laughs> the thing that people don't understand is that like even though we, we expect to start on time, we also don't actually get on the zoom until like nine fifty nine. So <laughs> chances of starting on time aren't great yeah. it's right. Monday morning everyone cut us I did actually I woke up early I said this I, I said this to you guys I was actually up at like 8 15 because I've randomly been having nightmares again like I don't know it's like I'm 12 I'm having nightmares and the best part was like it's the most cliche thing in the world and it's like the one thing you kind of stereotype to, to it's like there's all the memes out there about when this happens with women but I think Brie got in my head with like the nightmares because like two nights ago 
she like woke up and was like legitimately upset, like, like pissed. And I was like, what the hell happened? Like, is something happened at work? I was like, well, you're waking up. How are you this mad? She's like, you cheated on me in my dream. <laughs> Evil Sonner like, in the dream. What? Yeah, you cheated on me in my dream. And now I'm really upset. I'm waking up and I have chest pains and stuff. And I was like, for a second, I was like, you're being so silly. Like, I, it's a dream. Why are you letting it impact you? But then I did say to her, I was like, oh, you love me. I was like, you really do love I was like, yeah, you know, I figured like, yeah, I, I suppose she did agree to marry me. So that's that's obviously a step in the right direction and all that. But like, wow, you like the thought of me being unfaithful, like made you really upset. I was like, that's kind of it's kind of sweet. And she's like, that is not sweet, Connor. That is not that is not what we're doing here. It's like, no, you cheated on me in my dream. Why? And I was like, oh, here we go with this again. It was brutal. But we made it through that. But now I'm the one with the nightmare. She's sleeping soundly next to me. And I'm, I'm the one with the uh, I'm the one with the nightmares. <laughs> You know who's having nightmares? Everyone that watches the Jets, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to uh, some football. <laughs> that's the kind of transition we get from not frozen Tim that I, that I miss. <laughs> that's the kind of, I miss that. I not frozen Tim that. is going to try to stay around the entire episode today. Uh, so the Jets praying. go down 34, what, what was that, Marissa? I'm praying. Don't praying, leave yeah. Connor. 34-28 to the Chargers. There were um, there were little things that we could be excited about with this Jets team coming out of that game, but the thing that I think probably hurt the most was just seeing Justin Herbert play. Right, two hundred seventy-seven yards, a couple touchdowns in the first half. He actually set NFL rookie records for completions and yards in the last thirty years. Basically, he finished with three sixty-six, three touchdowns, and I think this was probably the kind of the thought process for a lot of fans watching the game. All right, here's a rookie quarterback. From the Pac-12, went to Oregon, you know, West Coast guy, comes in with all these expectations and all these weapons, and he's tremendous. And it made you think, like, oh, is this what Sam Darnold could have been? It's that's that's the nail on the head, man. And that's honestly what I when I was watching it, because they're similar guys, you know. I mean, I think Herbert's a little bit bigger, but they have similar yeah. builds, similar play styles in terms of like, you know, they're guys that can stretch the field with their arm. Herbert's obviously has otherworldly arm, but like Sam has as an arm that can make every throw. They're both accurate. They can move around within the pocket. They're best when a play breaks down. I mean, they have a lot of the same physical skill sets and they're same they're the same type of quarterback. And and that's honestly what was kind of going through my mind when I was watching it was like, man, you wonder if like what Herbert if, if the Jets did for Darnold what the Chargers have kind of done for Herbert if it would have gone a different direction and it is it's it's kind of it is a little bit in a way apples to oranges comparing their situation because the Chargers weren't really like this dysfunctional franchise for the last 10 years you know when they had Philip Rivers and LT they were winning 14 games you know Schottenheimer they were just right they were right on the cusp of, of making a Super Bowl and for a while they were the best team in the AFC they just couldn't get it done in the playoffs and and then you know obviously the people left you know instead of Vincent Jackson you went to Keenan Allen and instead of LT you went to to Melvin Gordon and then Austin Eckler so like the players and faces have changed but the Chargers last year had a pretty talented team both defensively and offensively with those weapons with Mike Williams and uh, Keenan Allen, as we said, and, and Henry, uh, Hunter, Hen- always call it Henry Anderson, Hunter Henry. Like, you know, you, they had all of these pieces there. They just had some issues last season where they happened to find themselves picking pretty high in the draft and Herbert was there. So they were like, all right, time to move on from Phillip Rivers and start anew with a young guy. So Herbert did go into a situation that Sam has never played with. You know, Sam's rookie year, he was throwing to, to who was it? Like Andre Roberts and Jermaine Curse and, and, uh, Deontay Burnett toward the end of the year and and obviously Robbie Anderson and I mean those guys in no way shape or form 
compare to Keenan Allen or Mike Williams or Hunter Henry. I mean, there's just, I know Hunter Henry's a tight end, but there's just no comparing those situations. The offensive line in San Diego, in LA is not top tier, but it's still more serviceable than what Sam Darnold dealt with years one and two. And the defense for the, for the Chargers, again, Bosa and Ingram and the secondary when Derwin James is out there and their corners are rocking and rolling with, damn it, when their corners are... are Drink. <laughs> Drink. Yeah. <laughs> That's going on our bingo card. Uh, when that, when like those guys are, are going like their, their secondary is good. You know what I mean? And they can, they can make plays and looking at them and saying like, wow, like, like that's a, that's just a perfect situation for a quarterback. You know, what could Sam have done? You know, what would Sam have done if he was throwing to Mike Williams, if he had Keenan Allen, if he had an offensive staff with quarterbacks coach like Pep Hamilton and an, and an offensive minded head coach and Anthony Lynn, who, yeah, he's offensive minded, but also kind of has control of the team, all that stuff, you know, just watching Herbert light it up. It did. You know, 37 of 49, 366, three touchdowns, 116.5 quarterback rating. He's got 22 touchdowns this year in, in nine games. Sam Darnold's got 22 touchdowns in his last 19 games. You know, it's it's just, again, I always go back to it. The the Jets, the, Sam Darnold's failing, not necessarily because of Sam Darnold, but because the Jets failed him. But you look at what another young quarterback's doing in a situation that is really ideal. And you wonder, like, if you flip them, if you put Sam over there, like, what would happen? And and I don't know. Maybe we'll know next year when when the Colts make a trade for Sam and, and we see what he does in Indy. Yeah, that's something Dane talked to us about last week was just, like, for every team, every time a quarterback goes into the NFL, um, it just depends so much on the situation that they're in. And this is the tale of uh, two situations, that's for sure. All right, so good performances, though, for some young players, although – not for the full game. For some reason, this team continues to just kind of be, um, you know, one half bad, one half good. This time they switched it around, maybe because that's how the Chargers have played all year. But the Jets were the team that was better in the second half as the Chargers almost blew yet another lead in 2020. But you look at some of the better performances on this team. One of them will go to the big man, Connor. Guy Becton. Now he left with another little injury, but came back. But Joey Bosa. Just not a factor when he was lining up on Becton's side. And it seems like yeah. each test that comes, right? Like Becton has faced different guys throughout the season. But now you get that prototypical speed rusher in Joey Bosa. Doesn't matter. Becton just handles it. And Bosa just kind of left that side. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's I think um that was one of the more impressive things, honestly, that that I saw out of that game. And and in a season that's lost with the Jets being 0-10. Uh, steamrolling, like we've said, toward the top pick in the draft. You know, the lame duck coach, um, kind of the a roster that is a, a barren wasteland of talent. I mean, there there's a lot going wrong with the Jets, and you are looking for for even the slightest se- semblance of a silver line you to hang on to. And and I think Becton is it. And Adam Gase said, you know, after the game that oh, you know, Melvin Ingram and and Bosa, you know, they tend to move sides and switch sides, yada yada. Okay, fine. I I don't necessarily buy that because every time I looked, Ingram was not or uh, Bosa was not on Becton's side. Bosa was switching over there, and that's not how the the game started. I mean, everyone when you have a player that is a first round pick like like Becton was, he's gonna have uh, um attention drawn to him. Uh, when when you're a defense and you're a top tier edge rusher and you start hearing about you know the pancakes Becton has and how good Becton is, yada yada, it's almost like all right, well, I'm the pro bowler. I'm the all pro. I'm the guy who just got a massive contract. I'm going to go show the rookie what it's like to be in the NFL because I'm not in my first year. I can beat him with my tricks. I, I know the tricks of the trade. I can do what I'm going to do and I can beat him. 
And so they kind of, all these guys want to go over and like try their hand. And Nick Bosa did it originally before his injury when the Jets played the 49ers. You had, um, who was it the Jets play? I think it was somebody with the Chiefs tried their hand over on him as well. Like they've constantly done it. So this was the next time for Joey Bosa where he lined up a top from Beckton on those first couple of plays on on the, on Sunday and, and the first couple of series. And he was like, all right, I'm going to go against him. And he went absolutely nowhere, was just completely stonewalled by the massive mountain that is Becton on the left side of the Jets' offensive line. And what I had me cracking up, and I give uh, Damian Woody, who works over at ESPN, credit for pointing it out because he's the one who first kind of triggered it in my mind, is that after those first couple of plays, Bosa was like, I'm done. That's that's enough for me. I'm going to go over and try my hand with with uh, George Fan on the other side. And, I mean, he ended up being stifled there too. Fan had a pretty good game. I mean, the Jets were, were helping him. Like, they had running backs over there, tight ends chipping before they got out. But still... Like, he did well as well, but to see Bosa go from rushing and like, I'm going to try the rookie, I'm going to try the rookie side of the line, I'm going over there, to then kind of take take his uh, lunch, take his ball and go home to the other side and try it on fan. I mean, that's a, that's a that's as respectful of a sign as you can get for an offensive lineman. And and the the hammering home of that as well is the only other time that I really noticed Bosa go back over to Becton was when Becton went out with a knee injury. So Becton came out for, for a series and then he came back in. When Becton came back in, I think Bosa probably realized, okay, Becton's back in. Maybe he's not healthy. I'm going to go try my hand on Becton again. Gave it two rushes. Then he was right back over on Chuma Adaga on the other side because Fant left with an injury. So uh, I was impressed by that. I thought it was funny. And, and honestly, as long as Becton can stay healthy, because that's kind of the X factor here, it's pretty obvious that the Jets have a guy that has the ability to not just be a franchise left tackle and a guy that they can put over there and, and feel confident in, like they had in DeBrickishaw Ferguson. You know, a guy who maybe not necessarily the best of the best, but you know you got a left tackle and you're fine with him on the left side. With Becton, I think you have a player that has Pro Bowl, All Pro, best left tackle in the league potential because not only is he big, not only is he strong, but you see his athleticism week in and week out. And when you can start stonewalling as a rookie, Players like Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Frank Clark, and others. I mean, it's a it's a sign you're doing things right. It's a sign you're doing things right. And he did leave him briefly with the injury, which seems like a weekly occurrence. Is he one of these guys that's just like extra careful when he feels a little tweak? Or, I mean, at what point are we concerned that he can't play a full game? Yeah, it's 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 to the point now where I'm. I'm noting it. I'm making note right. of it where it's almost like, man, Becton's out again. I mean, the Jets, the, the last, like we said, the last franchise left tackle the Jets had was, was DeBrickershaw Ferguson. I think that guy missed one snap in his career, and it was when Rex Ryan tried a trick play. You know what I mean? So he was always out there. I mean, it's normal for sometimes for guys to come out. But with Becton, I'm not necessarily worried about the injuries yet. And, and it's because of the type of injuries that he's had. You know, he had... A shoulder ailment earlier you know that's just kind of a little fluky and he's returned from it he's playing really well then he had that that awkward chest thing right like the weird like where he said it was congestion from a cold I don't know if I necessarily buy that but I mean whatever he was back the next week but it was congestion from a cold so he couldn't come back because they didn't know if it was anything serious I mean for me I was like really I mean I, but whatever whatever like he, he had congestion with the cold now he's back in and it's a it's a knee issue. But then again, he was out for a series. The trainers checked him out, made sure everything was stable and fine, and he went back in there. With Becton, the one time that injuries will become a concern for me, and it's it's always a concern when you draft those mammoth people, like the massive offensive linemen. All offensive linemen are big, all offensive linemen are tall, all are strong. But when you draft somebody who's not pushing 350, 360, but pushing 400 pounds, the one concern is that does your lower half of your body 
have enough to carry that weight in the way that you have to use that weight. Because, I mean, these guys are 370, 380 pounds and ridiculous athletes where, you know, Becton's running just a shade over 5-0 in the, in the, in the 40-yard dash. I mean, he's getting out there running, putting a lot of pressure on his knees, putting a lot of pressure on his feet. So if he was dealing with, with foot sprains and, and ankle issues and ankle ailments and soft tissue issues below the belt, that's where I would probably say I'm a little concerned because that's when you get to the point where you're like, he's too heavy. Is he's just too big for his body? He needs to lose weight, and we we talked about it in the off season in training camp and OTAs where it was is Becton too big? Is there too much weight? He's talking about how he wants to lose weight. The Jets are saying they want him to lose weight. He he apparently lost a lot of weight from Louisville, but then showed up to training camp still needing to lose another five or ten pounds. So it's that that was a little red flag for me. Seeing him now get hurt, it's just these issues aren't concerning me yet. You know, his his weight isn't why he had chest congestion. His weight isn't why he hurt his shoulder. His weight isn't why those problems happened. If next year comes and he's missing him because of stuff happening below the belt or his weight starts to balloon again and, and he his work ethic starts to die some, that's when there's that's when there's a concern. Because you see that happen with, with some offensive linemen in the NFL that are on the, the upper half of the scales. All right, one more young guy to talk about. And I was going to bring up P. Ryan, but we've we've learned now that um, he actually got injured in that second half, and that's why the carries weren't quite there at the level of Gore, uh, which is something that we've kind of gone on and on about. But Mims, one target in the first half, just makes you want to pull your hair out, no catches. But then we saw what Mims can do in that second half. He, he's been the other way this season so far, where he's had big first halves and then been quiet after the break. So at least, I guess, he quieted that criticism but he ends up having a big day, three catches, 71 yards. On top of that, a couple of defensive pass interferences as well. And the thing that stood out was these weren't like, okay, he made a move. He got pretty open and the quarterback got the ball to him, simple pitch and catch. This was like contested balls and he went up and made the play. And to me, when you're talking about a player that you're going to want to be able to go to in big spots, Mim showed that kind of ability on Sunday. Yeah, and and – I, I we're looking for for silver linings, right? Like we're looking for like a sign that Joe Douglas might be the right guy, or we're looking for a sign that the Jets can turn this around. They might have weapons, yada yada yada. I don't know how to to stress this enough to Jet fans that want to hear it. I don't know how to make this abundantly clear to to the people over at One Jets Drive. The Jets have a player on their roster right now in Denzel Mims, who is the player that so many teams covet because he has the ability and we've seen it every game he's played since he came back from those hamstring injuries. He has the ability that when that ball is in the air to just find a way to come down with it. The odds are against him. There's good coverage. There's safety over top. There's not a lot of separation. It does not matter. Mims has the ability when it is up there, to find a way to track the ball, get the ball, see ball, get ball. That's what he has the ability to do. It is Brandon Marshall-like, and probably the last Jets receiver that had the ability to do those types of things consistently was Brandon Marshall during the 2015 season before, obviously, he kind of aged pretty quickly. Before that, you probably have to go back to, to Braylon Edwards in spurts. And before that, honestly, I don't know, because... This guy is physically imposing. 
This guy is a physical specimen. This is a guy that maybe he's never going to be a route technician. Maybe he's never going to be the Marvin Harrison of route running or the Michael Thomas where he's catching 100 balls for 1,500 yards a year and 15 touchdowns because you know he's, he's just beating guys off the break. It doesn't necessarily matter because that doesn't need to be his strength because what he can do to just make a play happen is remarkable. That play he had down the sideline in the third quarter where the Jets have the third and eight. Joe Flacco's in the shotgun. He's one-on-one with Casey Haywards in lockdown coverage. Flacco basically said, screw it, I'm giving the rookie a shot and threw the ball up. Forget it. Throwing it up there. We're going to see what happens. Which we and, need to see more of, right? That's what we yes. need to see. Just throw it up there. Exactly. And and that's what Mims did. I mean, Mims got off. He, he, he engaged with Hayward where their bodies kind of locked. High pointed the ball, saw the ball, tracked the ball over his shoulder, and made it made a grab, and then toe tapped his feet inbounds for the grab. He has the ability to do things like that whenever the ball is in the air. When you have a player with that capability, when you have a player with that skill set, you throw him the ball, dude. You throw him the ball five times in the first half. You throw it to him five times in the second half. You throw it to him five times a quarter. I don't care. You give the guy a chance to make plays. I don't care that the Jets recovered a fumble and then ran right into the end zone. I don't. The fact that Mims saw one target in the first half, it's completely unacceptable. And you see why in the third quarter. The Jets' offense stinks. They are not good. They do not have very many playmakers on the field. They are an 0-10 disaster. Who gives a damn anymore? Throw the ball up and see what the kid can't do. Just feed him the ball. There was a point there in the second half where every time the Jets threw Mims the ball, something good was happening. He was making that gorgeous over-the-shoulder grab, toe-tapping his feet. He was making the back-shoulder turning catch. He was drawing two defensive pass interference calls. This guy is so confident in himself when he steps on the field, he believes he is the best player on the field. And when you have that confidence in yourself and it is authentic and genuine and not an act, it's going to allow you to do things that maybe you shouldn't. And the fact that the Jets somehow, somehow continue to just be like, forget Mims is on the field, it's unacceptable. Because I, you know, if you're in a tight game and you're trying to run the clock out, okay, maybe. But this, this isn't this. This is a bad football team losing games that just needs a spark. And you know where you get a spark? Just throw it up and let the kid go make a play. And honestly, late in the game, the Jets probably should have tied it because those two passes that the Jets threw to Mims, one on the left side, one on the right side, both were defensive pass interference and shouldn't give the Jets a first and goal inside the five-yard line. And the fact, I mean, that's that's the things that happen. That's what happens when you throw Mims the ball. It's unacceptable. It is completely unacceptable when you find a way or when you cannot find a way to do that in the first half. Just take a shot. Just throw it up there and see what the kid can't do. Imagine if they you know, did again, that. The Jets finally have a guy that can do it. They yeah. finally have a guy that when the odds are stacked against him, he still finds a way to come out on the other end. I'm picturing them scoring late and then having to go for two to tie it, not getting it. And then us all, the Jets nation, thanking Sam Ficken for the ultimate pro tank, missing the extra point early, allowing them to lose the game late. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, I want to get to um, the Gase Loggins like handoff of plays and Herndon a little bit too. Um, but one little note from the, from the uh, chat, DeWitt McDidit, uh, shout out, uh, saying that he's just here because he's a Browns fan and he's cheering yeah. on the Jets to an 0-16 season to match them. So we're not just bring- – hey. the Jets' futility is bringing us Browns fans. You yeah, know well, it's wild. You should listen to Civilized Barking on the Athletics Podcast Network. I well, produced that, that hopefully, podcast as well. Hopefully he's so. listening to both. Yes, yes Zach Jackson, Jason Marissa Lloyd fan. had a great recap of yesterday's game. So check that out. <laughs> well done, Marissa. You know what? Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I tell you what, Browns, Browns field goal unit has been one of the best in the league. Another one. They got to let the one go, but a PATs <laughs> field goals. I've been wildly impressed with them this year. But Cody Parkey, I do yeah. want to make this point. I, I got to give Chris Strauss a big, my editor, a big shout out for this because I never connected these dots. But just touching upon the Browns note, if the Jets actually finish this year 0-16, like if they lose out, I need to run the number. Like I don't have ESPN stats and info like the Athletic, and this is not, a sh- I mean, we don't have a, a straight statistics department that I can just say, hey, when is blah, blah, blah. And just pick a random thing and then somebody will just find me that information where it's like, oh, here is, yeah, well, actually, in 1927, this happened in this game when it was this weather at this time of the day. Like, we don't, like that's that's just a very beneficial thing for them, so I have to manually run these numbers. But if the Jets finish 0-16, I'm fairly certain that Greg Williams will become the first coach in NFL history to be a part of two winless ball clubs. I know he'll definitely be the first first coach in NFL history to be part of two 0-16 ball clubs. Yeah. But I think he might be, like, ever. And there, actually, there might be more, like, when you look at his staff because he brings everyone everywhere. It's like a fraternity. Like, the same <laughs> defensive staff that he had with Cleveland is now the defensive staff with the Jets. It's what he does. But I do find that, like, fascinating. Like, Chris reached that out to me. And I'm, I'm wondering when when I should drop that in the uh, – when I should drop that in the uh, the Friday press conference with him. You're like, hey, Greg, what do you think about uh, being the only coach in NFL history to be 0-16 twice? He'll, he'll be like, really enjoy that, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, on Zoom, at You'll least get he can't a good answer. Yeah, right, he can't yeah. come after you. Yeah, yeah I know. That was like when we were asking him about, uh, I think Kaz is the one we were, we were pressing him about uh, Bounty Gate because uh, Odell, when the Jets played the Browns last year, yeah, it had to be last right. year. When the Jets played the Browns last year, Odell said, uh, he was told by his teammates that Greg Williams was telling people to take him out. And Greg told us in the press conference when we had it, like the ensuing day, like Odell said that Monday and we were in there Wednesday or Odell said it Wednesday, we were in there Thursday, whenever the hell it was. Uh, Greg was like, that never happened. That would never happen. And Cos and Cos was like, there's literally tape of you admitting this, like admitting <laughs> to a bounty program. Like there's literal tape, like your voice video of you. And Greg's like, not true, not true. Next question, not true. And it's like, we can't hide that, man. It's like you, you got a picture of you with your hand in the cookie jar, and you're saying you're not touching cookies. I mean, what the hell are you doing in there? Like, uh, wild. But yeah, 0 and 16 twice. That'd be freaking wild. That'd be nuts. I never, I never, never in my head did I piece that together. So shout out to to editor Chris Strauss. Good job, Chris. Shout out. All right. Speaking of coaches, um, weird. I guess it's something that has been going on for a few weeks, but we didn't know about it until after the game on Sunday because it appeared during the second half that Adam Gase had taken back play calling 
for the game. And if that was the case, I'm surprised he didn't take credit for it because the offense looked great in the second half. So it would have been a nice little story that, hey, Adam Gase, you know, after stepping away for a few weeks, gets back into things and finds his rhythm and has this offense moving. But apparently that's not what was happening. Dow Loggins calls the play. Adam Gase then takes that call and then delivers that to Joe Flacco, Mm -hmm. which it just seems strange. And to put this into perspective, we're going to bring in the the great voice of Michael Dunn 1A, who on the (laughs) chat said, when Marissa and Tim have something to say, do they have to pass it through Connor before being communicated to us? Asking for Gase and Loggins. (laughs) It's just weird, Connor. You guys should be my filter. Right. What is the... What is it's the point? 1041. <laughs> <laughs> that one, Connor will never live that one down. Ever. No, I might as well just add it to my Twitter bio. Yes. At this point. <laughs> okay, answer Tim's question. Now. Where were you I going, like Tim? I totally <laughs> lost it when Marissa said it's 1041. I totally missed the question. Was it about the... Uh, just about the fact just... that this is just weird and unnecessary. And it doesn't yeah, matter I mean, look, right I... now because they're all getting fired. But, like, it's just weird. I, I gotta, I gotta, I'll ask around. I gotta ask around. I mean, this is literally like the next day, but I'll, I'll make some calls to our, I, it just, it, when he said it, cause like I, I opened, I was like, Hey, it looks like you gave up play calling it or you took back play calling. It worked. He's like, I didn't take back play calling. And then he say, he goes like, well, I was like, wait a minute. So you, I was like, and I, in my head, I was like, I was still trying to process what he was saying. He goes, no, he goes, I call Dow calls the plays. I just read them to Joe. And like he said, I was like, that makes no sense. I was like, so I was like, wait, so you're saying that it was almost like the scene in the interview where that like the Eminem scene in the interview where he's like, so when you say this, you mean blah, blah, blah. And so it was, it was honestly like, I was like, wait, so you're saying that Dow calls the place to you and you relay the place to Joe. And he goes, yeah. I was like, uh, and then it was, there were like a million of things. And then rich, I give credit to rich for bringing it back to be like, no, wait, seriously. So what you're saying is blah, blah, blah. Because, dude, it makes – like, I don't I, – again, like, I, I got to reach out to see if this is normal. If, you like, if Mike like Mike McCarthy doesn't call the plays, right? I th- I'm pretty sure that with the Cowboys, it's more. It's it's uh the, the offensive coordinator more calls the plays. But you always see McCarthy there with the headset. Like, I don't know if Moore's talking to Andy Dalton or is Moore talking to McCarthy. I mean, I got I to gotta check in with – with John, our, our Cowboys guy, and, and see, like, if that's actually the case, because I don't know. But, like, that just immediately when he said that made absolutely no sense. Like, you're just asking for trouble, man. Like, and, and like Adam's like, well, it helps on two-minute drills, and, and it helps, like, you know, for, for – and it, it doesn't take that long because all Dow has to say is play 25. No, no, there is still a thing. Like, what if, what if the radios go down? Like, what if right. – I mean, you're just adding another cable to the mix. Like, and, well, Dow says play 25. So, Dow, like – the NFL is like all about up tempo and getting as many plays in as possible and all this stuff. So Dow's looking down the play sheet. He's like, mm, maybe this one, no that one. Okay, yep, it's gonna go play twenty five. All right, Adam, we're gonna go play twenty five. Adam goes, okay. Do I like play twenty five? Yeah, I'll run play twenty five. That sounds pretty good. Okay, Joe, it's and then he reads off. Like you're just taking at least right. Like you're. T- I, that I would was say like that, six, seven seconds right there. Yes, that's and what I'm play saying. Play clock's yeah. ticking and yep. Yes. So if you're if you're in an like it's a 45 second play clock right there, you just blew an extra five to eight seconds, I would say, that you don't need to blow compared to if Dowell is just talking to the quarterback. And like I get that, like Adam wants to the have a say, I guess. And he said uh, like he confirmed he has veto power, even though he doesn't veto anything like he'll never know the call. He's always going to run it. But like he does. It. And then in two minute drills. 
it also, he was like, well, in two-minute drills, I need to run the play. I need to call the plays. And I was like, yeah, in two-minute drills, you do need to call the plays because, like, thinking about it now, like, obviously in two-minute drills, he has to call the plays because you don't have time for the eight-second delay. Like, you don't have time for Dow to pick the play to go to Adam to then go into the quarterback. So, Adam, ha- you're now cutting out the middleman, which could just be cut out anyway if Dow just had a direct a direct line. And and he said that, but but what was weird is, like, all throughout the time – I watched the camera angle when when Dow when uh, Adam first gave up the play calling, and you saw like basically Adam and we can talk about this like I don't get the whole Adam just standing on the sideline the entire like I thought when Adam gave up play calling, it would like mean he was more involved with like he would be more he would be with the quarterbacks and then he would be with the receivers and then he'd be over maybe with the defense as well like yeah. you heard with Checking Joe Judge on the and defense. the defense yeah like Joe Judge with the Giants like the whole thing where you said like where you realize he's he's a special teams guy. He's their head coach, right? Offense coordinator, defense coordinator, special teams, all that stuff. Well, he saw the offensive line struggling, which was this is vast matured reported by I know Dan Duggan had some of it and all these other people, our Giants guy, Dan Duggan. So he had like Dan like Joe Judge realized the offensive line was struggling. So he went over and spent time in practice with the offensive line. They started getting better. I thought that like by Adam giving up play calling, he would now be over at different points, but he I mean, he kind of just like stands there on the sideline. So like, I, I I thought he would be more involved. So now that he, I get, now that I know the play is going from Dow to Adam, I was like, okay, well, that's why he's not over it because he's still having to relay the play in. But even then, I never saw him. I don't know. I, I got to go back and watch the film because I don't remember when he first gave up play calling the first two games. I don't ever remember the cameras seeing him on the sideline reading the play in like, like last week, like, th- like yesterday, I mean. Like it's just it's just so weird. It's so it's so odd. And I don't maybe it's just because Adam doesn't know how to do it. Like he said, it's been ten years since he didn't call plays because he called the plays every game in Miami. He called the plays uh, when he was in in Chicago. He called the plays when he was offensive coordinator of the Broncos. So it's been ten years since he gave it up. So maybe he just doesn't know how to give it up. Maybe he doesn't know that like no, when you give it up, you're not supposed to talk to the quarterback anymore. Like you can talk to him on the sideline, but the relay is there. But still, it's like I I can't I can't make sense of. I can't, I can't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't. And Adam kind of explained it. And now, I mean, we're talking to him again today at four and it's not right after a game. So like maybe he'll be more able to explain it, but like it, it, to me, it does not make any sense because you're just, you're creating a middleman when there doesn't need to be a middleman. You're creating a delay when there doesn't need to be a delay. And it's just like, why? But I mean, I, I, I tweeted this after the game, like at this point, who the hell cares? Like at this right. point, like, does it make sense? No. Is there an easier way? Absolutely. But who gives a damn now? Like, who cares, dude? Like, it's it's they're 0-10. They're going towards 0-16. Whatever gets them Trevor Lawrence. Like, it really just doesn't matter anymore. And if this helps get him Trevor Lawrence, so be it. Um, all right, one more thing from Sunday's game, and then we'll get to some other stuff, including Justin Fields on Saturday. But um, in first half, Chris Herndon over the middle, wide open, hit him in the hands. He drops the ball, and everybody says, well, yeah, that's what Chris Herndon does. But then in the second half, we got a glimmer of hope here, Connor. There was a tremendous catch he makes for a 26-yard gain in a first down. And then the touchdown, is this what Chris Herndon needed or was this the outlier and the next six games we're just going to go back to him dropping wide open passes over the middle? Sure that's the I mystery, hope so, man. You've been <laughs> said, they, the Jets have been saying one play. Just they need to get the guy one play. Well, you got and two they, plays, so here we go. Yeah, but they haven't, right? Like they they right. haven't gotten they haven't gotten the one play yet. Like they haven't gotten the one play in any of these games. He's made a couple catches, but they've always come with like asterisks, whether it was like a short gain or like he didn't catch it, or then like it was just 
He hasn't. He's caught passes since the opener against the Bills, but they've been for like two yards. There hasn't been the play. And what the Jets have continued to say is like, there is nothing physically wrong with Chris Herndon. He's healthy. He's practicing every single day. They've had talks with him. Like Adam Gase has met with Chris Herndon. Dow Loggins has met with Chris, uh, Chris Herndon. His positional coach has met with him. They've had teammates go and meet with him. And everyone is basically saying like, dude, what's wrong? Because you can see he's mentally in a funk. Are they like, dude, did like your, your girlfriend leave you? Like, are you like, okay at home? Like, did something happen? Like, are you getting hit really hard? Like, basically just tell us what's wrong. Tell us something's right. wrong. And all Chris Herndon says is I'm fine. I'm good. I'm fine. And it's like, well, that makes it worse because if you were fine and this is happening, what the hell? Like, it's just been like what they've kept stressing and they've kept like hammering home like from the Jets is like, he just needs that play. He just needs like that moment to get going, right? Like even the one pass he caught where it was, uh, he it's an option route. He, run, he, he caught it where it was a fumble that was then overturned. I forget. I think it was the Cardinals. I think the Jets were playing the Cardinals where he came, he ran in the middle of the field, kind of did a curl. And then he has an option to cut left, right, or sit. And he cut right, caught the ball, broke into the open field, and actually fumbled the ball. But because he recovered it himself and the play was blown dead and all that stuff. Like, even that play, it's like it's a nice gain. It's like, oh, maybe that could get him. But he still fumbled it, right? Right. So he, the Jets have just been waiting for this moment. Like, they've been waiting for him to make the play. And that gorgeous diving catch that he made against L.A., that's a hell of a catch. Like, forget who catch. you are. It doesn't matter. Like, if, if Travis Kelsey did that, we'd be saying, that's a hell of a catch. If if prime, time, prime Zach Ertz did it, that was a hell of a catch. If Jeremy Shockey, who was one of my favorite players growing up, did it, that's a hell of a catch. Like, that like that was an amazing... And then to follow it with the twisting back shoulder grab for the touchdown and then getting in the back of the end zone. I mean, those are the two plays that the Jets were like, we need a spark. We need this guy to get going and then they can roll, right? Not rock, but roll. They can really start going. <laughs> uh, do we do like half a sip on that? What's the? Yeah. That's a shot. Grab your- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, they do like you can, you can like you just get them going. And I don't, obviously we don't know yet if that's going to be the spark that gets, that gets this thing rolling for the, for the final six weeks of the season. We don't know, but there's at least some optimism now because before the unicorn was dead. It was dead. There was no hopes and dreams, cut him, trade him, all that stuff. But now if this kind of sparks them, a little bit, these final six, you can hang your hat on Herndon in 2021 as another weapon. And now suddenly say the Jets re-signed Brashad Perryman. They go out and they add Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay. Now you have Allen Robinson and Denzel Mims split wide. Jamison Crowder in the slot. Brashad Perryman is your deep threat. Chris Herndon with confidence and, and what you hope you see the final six going into next year, a new offensive coaching staff. And you have a, a foundation on offense that can be a, a Charger-like situation for Trevor Lawrence or, or Justin Fields. And we'll still feel bad for Sam Darnold at that point. Yes. That that's true. <laughs> this point I'm over it. Whatever. He's gonna go to he's gonna go to Indy, play behind Quentin Nelson and that stellar offensive line, be handing off to Jonathan Taylor, throwing to Michael Pittman again, who's over there and looking good and all this. I mean, he's gonna be fine. And he's he's gonna go to Frank Wright, who's a hell right. of a head coach. Him and he's a he's a hell of a head coach. And and he'll be he'll be just fine. Sam Sammy will be just fine. It'll be better for Herndon, first now. touchdown since week 16 of the 2018 season. All right, one more break. Who was that against, a- you know? What's was that? that? Was that Green Bay? Yeah, I think I know he scored against Green Bay. I can't remember who the Jets played in week 16. I don't remember. Oh, okay. That was I don't know if that, you had uh, the that predates the Can't Wait podcast. <laughs> That's fine. I don't know if you had the game log up. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, from 2020 to 2021, as we check in on Justin Fields, um, Ohio State with a challenge on Saturday. Uh, not early, but late Indiana got back into it. Uh, Justin Fields, I'll admit it, not at his best. Connor, you kind of broke it down in your column about Justin Fields. I would say maybe you were a little harsh, but you were talking about just that game, which is fair, because yeah. everything you said about that game was fair. The decision making was was terrible, but it it didn't seem like the same Justin Fields that I've seen in in other games. And even going back to the national semifinal last year in the college football playoff when they lost to Clemson and he threw the interception late, it was because his receiver fell down. Um, this was the worst game I've ever seen Justin Fields play. But I'm willing at this point to say that it was just one game, and this guy's still great. But you know, what did you see? Just kind of break it down for us now on the podcast. Um, what you saw from Fields, what didn't impress you, and what did? You, you know, it's funny about that story is like I, I remember talking to Chris, my editor, and just kind of putting together like the game plan moving forward. Because I mean, I, I've covered bad Jets teams before. I've covered teams that were eliminated from the playoffs, but I've never really covered a team this bad. So it's like, all right, well, what are we gonna do? So we tried out on Friday like a Jets watch guide, and it was like the these are the games. Like if you don't want to watch the Jets, here's like Saturday before the Clemson game I canceled. Here's when Trevor Lawrence is playing. Here's when Justin Fields is playing. Here's when Iowa State's on if you want to watch Matt Campbell. For Sunday games, you don't want to watch the Jets. This is when the Jaguars are on. This is when the Colts are on. This is when the Seahawks are on because the Seahawks obviously impact the Jets draft pick. Like stuff like that is what we were trying to do. And so after I ran the watch guide, I was like, oh man, I was like, I have, I, I, I did a Friendsgiving at my buddy's house on, on uh, Saturday, but I was like, before that, I'll just watch the Ohio State game and I won't, I'm not looking at this through like I'm not breaking down the all 22. I'm not doing like the the he missed this read because he didn't get to this level. Like I was like, that's not my thing. I've made that abundantly clear before. Like I am not a scout. When I want opinion on players, I talk to executives. I talk to talent evaluators. I talk to scouts. Those are the people. And I talk to Dane. Like those are the people that I talk to and they will give me my opinion on players. I was like, but look, I'm not doing anything until we're leaving at four o'clock on Saturday for this this Friendsgiving thing. Which shout out to Rodney for giving a banging deep fried turkey and it was socially distanced there were only eight of us there so you know everyone can i wasn't illegal like don't send murphy to my house but we um we like we had like it was all fine like it was all it was all set up and, and i was like all right i'll watch the game and what was funny though before we actually get down to what i saw from from fields is that as i wrote the what i saw from fields and made it abundantly clear i'm not an nfl scout this is just what i thought from watching him for like the first real time is I, I, when we write a story on The Athletic and before we file it, it says like tag the teams that are involved here. So always I just tag the Jets. So for this, I was like, oh, well, I'm also writing about Ohio. So I tagged Ohio State. 
Chris runs the story. I wake up the next morning and I go on the comment section of the story. It's all Ohio and I'm State fans. Freaking eviscerated, dude. I am getting and I'm like I went through the I, whole thing this morning because I had seen somebody apologize to you. So I went through all the comments in that article. Oh, and it, it was entertaining. I was just destroyed. And I'm like, Maybe I'm that's why you're it. having nightmares. Yeah. It might be. But like seriously, like what reading it, I was like, I like I don't I I feel like I have a general a, a pretty solid grasp and pulse of the jets fan base like i do feel like i I have a general idea of what's on their minds what they want to read what they don't want to read when i send a tweet that's risky i know the tweet's risky when i send a tweet that i know i'm gonna get like adam gase apologist blown up in my mentions like i'm ready for it it's why i took my mentions off but like i have i feel like i have a good idea of, of the jets fan base so going throughout that that comment section i was like god damn i misfired on this one. i was like why do they hate me so i was like man jet fans love Justin Fields. I was like, I, they are obsessed with him. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. I was like, I tagged Ohio State. So my column on, I don't think Justin Fields is all that good, or I don't think Justin Fields is as good as Trevor Lawrence, wasn't just pl- sent out to the Jet fans, which would probably read it and be like, yeah, you know, I thought that too. I, I would definitely want Trevor Lawrence over him. It was also right into Buckeye Nation on The Athletic and right on there. So I was like, the vast majority of those comments are not Jet fans. They're very, very angry Ohio State fans. And I, I said to Chris, I was like, you know, when we, when we write the Trevor Lawrence one this Saturday, if Trevor, there's three picks, I'm not tagging Clemson. I'm not, I'm not doing that because this was not meant for Ohio State people. But honestly, I, I think what watching Lawrence showed me, like I think, or Fields, I should say, not Lawrence. What, what watching Fields showed me is just, I, I think there's a gap. I think that there is a here's Trevor Lawrence and number two is Justin Fields, but there's still this like this is still there for between Lawrence and Fields like Lawrence is the number one quarterback in the draft. Lawrence is going to be the number one pick Fields is a nice consolation prize, but I don't think it's a coin flip. I don't think it's a toss up. I don't think you can say I'm going to take Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence. I just don't I don't think that's possible. And and there's a lot to like about Fields. I mean, there is. The elite level arm strength. You saw it on the first play of the game when he hit that guy down the seam. I mean, that's there. Uh, I love the fact that he doesn't he doesn't drop back thinking about running. You know, he he runs when he has to, or he runs when the play breaks down. He runs on read options, but he realizes that his greatest weapon is his arm. So he's not looking to run. He's not like Lamar Jackson. He's not like Kyler Murray. He's more, and I mean this from a running perspective, like Daniel Jones from the Giants. I'm not comparing Fields and Jones. I think they're in different stratospheres. But I like where Jones drops back for the Giants. You can tell like the only time he runs is when all things break down or when the, the Giants dial up a read option. I see Fields doing that kinds of thing. Uh, I love his size, 6'3", 220, right? 220, 230. I mean, he's a guy that, that clearly is not, again, like you would get worried about Mike Vick taking hits and dropping, Kyler Murray taking hits and dropping. Like you're not worried about that with, with him because you realize he can take a hit and stand tall. He can play within the pocket. Obviously, he can break out. Like I said, you saw the accuracy. The two things that scared me the most were the decision-making because this is the first real team he played. I mean, he beat Penn State, Nebraska, and Rutgers. I mean, that's not it's not exactly murderer's row to open the season. So this was his first real test, the first solid, really above-average defense in, in the nation, and he was making throws where he's being brought down to the ground. He's just chucking balls up in the air. It's like, you can't do that. And And the fact that he thinks it's okay to do that made me a little nervous that that was one but again decision making you can iron it out you can work on it some guys always make that they're always that gunslinger some guys you can work it out the thing that actually scared me more than the decision making is how the announcers kept stressing over and over and over and over and over again about how he holds onto the ball too long and he holds onto the ball too long and the reason why that makes me nervous 
is that you can develop and you can make a guy more accurate when you work on his mechanics and the fundamentals. Look at Josh Allen. He's always going to misfire, but you can work on accuracy. Arm strength is probably the most overrated trait from a quarterback. As long as you can make every throw, you're fine. Um, you can work on footwork. You can work on fundamentals. You can work on decision-making. You can work on reading a defense, getting through your progressions. You can work on all that. And if you have a really good offensive coordinator, you can make a, some of that stuff irrelevant. What you can't always develop and what you can't always improve, and I know this from talking to coaches, is pocket presence. That's kind of like an innate ability. And and some guys can find it later in life. Some guys can get better. But if you have a tendency to hold the ball too long, sometimes the reason why you're holding the ball too long is that you don't feel the rush around you. So I remember talking to one coach actually about Daniel Jones when he was like struggling with all those fumbles last year. I was like, man, like he makes some good throws, but what's up? And the coach said, he goes, he doesn't realize that there's a defender around him until he's picking himself off the until he's picking himself off the turf. That's when he realizes someone's there. And I was like, oh, well, he'll get better about that, right? And he goes, no, that's that's sometimes. But most often, that's that's you have to feel it. You have to have a feel. Like you watch Tom Brady, right? Like Tom great, Brady, yeah, he was great example. Moving around in the pocket. Eli Manning was another guy moving around the pocket. When you're talking about a guy holding the ball too long in college, and you see where he's being brought down and all this, I, I just I wonder if Fields is holding the ball too long just because he doesn't know the rush is coming, and that would scare me. Again, not scare me enough to be like this guy can't play, or this guy's a second round pick, or this guy's a third round pick, or God stay away from him. But I think. It's why you have a gap and why there is a difference between Trevor Lawrence, who obviously makes the reads, which again, a lot of, you saw a lot of fields as throws are telegraphed. He's dropping back and he knows the ball is going to this position. As long as I throw it there, the guy's going to be open. Fields and is the guys are his- always open. I'll say that about oh. Ohio State. He is surrounded yeah. by unbelievable talent. Yeah, three, four. I mean, guys have three, four yards of separation. So, I mean, it's next level like that. Again, like. Trevor Lawrence knows how to get through reads. Trevor Lawrence knows how to move within the pocket. Trevor Lawrence's only bugaboo is that he sometimes doesn't slide, which you can learn. That's another thing. You can learn that in the NFL unless you're Ryan Fitzpatrick, but you can learn that in the NFL. There are just enough things about fields. And again, I'm not a scout. I'm not breaking down the all 22. I haven't watched, you know, 35 hours of this and gone over every single one of his starts dating back to two years ago. But it's enough for, I saw enough on Sunday to be like, Trevor Lawrence is my number one. Trevor Lawrence is my number one, and Fields is my number two. And if the Jets finish number two, they'll draft Fields. But if the Jets finish number one, they're they're going Lawrence. And and I don't think it's I don't think it's close. Like I think it's Lawrence is the number one prospect. He's the best in the draft. And then you have Fields, who's your number two. I think that's fair. One thing I'll say as far as criticism, and this didn't come from you at all, Connor, but I have seen this criticism from other people. May have even made it into your comment section. Um, but the argument that. Ohio State quarterbacks never make it in the NFL, which is just such a bad argument in one way because Ryan Day is there now, okay? Like, this isn't Urban Meyer. This isn't um, the mayor, Trestle, Trestle before him. Um, This is Ryan Day, a guy who's only been there since 2017 when he was the quarterback's coach. Um, And before that, he has NFL experience as a quarterback's coach. I think you can't judge those past Ohio State quarterbacks um, like you can Fields because of the type of the caliber of coaching that he's got in the last two years from Ryan Day. Um, so I, I won't hold that against him, the fact that he went to Ohio State. I agree with you in that um, I think that, you know, who knows when they get to the NFL, right? We could talk 10 years from now and Justin Fields ended up being the best player. But I agree, if you have the number one pick, you have to take Trevor Lawrence. I think another factor with that is I think Trevor Lawrence is probably going to step in and start from day one, and I wonder if Fields may need half a season 
to Dactua. before he gets thrown in there, right? To to kind of there's just a little more adapting. And maybe that's because Trevor Lawrence is playing in his third full college season, whereas Fields, you know, transferred to Ohio State and it's only his second season, had to learn a different offense before he was at Ohio State. There's just been more he's had to go through. But yeah, I, I, I think Fields I, could take longer. I'm I'm right on board with you with yeah. the, the Ohio State thing. Like where it's like, oh, you can't play quarterback because he's from Ohio State. Like I think it's just tired. I think it's 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 a lazy excuse. Like it's it's not it's not something I would put in like why would you draft Joe Burrow, right? Because Jamarcus Russell came out of LSU. Like it's 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 pointless. Like who was the who was the great Clemson quarterback before Deshaun Watson, right? Like it wasn't right. it the kid the Jets drafted in like the seventh round. Rex is like the guy Rex thought he was going to play, and the guy was like one of the worst quarterbacks. I forget his name. I Taj, number ten. But... Taj, oh no, that's Taj Boyd. Yeah, Taj Boyd. Taj there you go. Boyd, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like like that. Like it's it's Texas Tech. Like who was the last elite level Texas Tech quarterback before Pat Mahomes? Like it's 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 right. Just, they it's, were all system like, quarterbacks, right? That at Texas Tech, they couldn't make it because yeah. they were only good because of the system. Yeah. Yeah, and there there's some that I think that that uh, maybe holds true. Like Baylor, I'd probably be a little nervous about with like the whole Bryce Petty thing, right? But Bryce Petty came out. He was drafted in the fourth round, if I'm not mistaken, and it was because it was like yeah. He has all these great college numbers. He looks great. He can make all the throws, but he's never had to read a defense. And then he gets to the Jets and he's starting, oh, I love this NFL coaching because now I can read defenses in Madden. And it was like, what did you just say? So it's like, it's crazy, man. But like, I don't, I don't buy that. That is not something that to me is on my mind. That's not something that would scare me off of, off of fields. It's not any of that. I mean, look, the guys can, guys can develop traits. Guys can get better. And I wouldn't, again, my whole thing. And it's just my whole thing. It's just that like, I watched that game against Indiana top tier nation defense saying like, okay, I want to see why he's better than Trevor Lawrence. I want to see why it would be a coin flip. I want to see why this is like, man, one, two, two, one doesn't really matter. You're, you're good either way. And, or uh, you can, you can go whatever you want with number one pick. Instead, I saw a guy that like has a ton that you, that people will love size, athleticism, the ability to run, but doesn't rely on his legs, arm strength, accuracy, command of a team, a leader. Like he has everything you want. But he's just—I don't think he's Trevor Lawrence. Like that's just—I don't know. I just—I—I've seen—I've heard talked to enough people about Trevor Lawrence. I've seen enough from Trevor Lawrence over the last year. I watched him when he won the championship a couple years ago. Like it's just—I saw him. I was like, man, that's a guy. It's, and I almost feel similar about Lawrence watching Lawrence as I did about Deshaun Watson when I watched him in the BCS national championship game, and I was like, or the the college championship game, and I was like, man, that guy's. It. I remember why I was like, I was like, I don't care what people say about maybe he did this. Like what he just did. For Clemson to bring him back and win, I was like, "That's it. He's the guy. He's the guy. Take him." Like if the Jets need a quarterback, take him. And obviously the Jets thought they had Hackenberg, so they didn't. So that blew up in their face. But I, I just I liked Watson, and I feel the same way about Lawrence, where it's like the guy's gonna do it. He's gonna be good. He's it. He's it. That's it. And Fields, I think, can be good. Probably like you said, needs a little more work. I just I wouldn't I wouldn't take Fields over Lawrence ever. I guess just my personal opinion. All right, that is going to uh, do it for us, I think. Uh, another edition of the Can't Wait podcast. We're going to be back on Friday once you get all your Black Friday shopping done. Jump on with us, and, and we'll be talking about the Jets getting you ready. Or once Connor's done his Black Friday shopping, too. Uh, online this year, shopper. right? Online only, Connor? Yeah, well, it's all. I've been online the last pandemic not even like not talking about the pandemic, but I did. I used to do like when I was in when I was in high school, my friends and I would have Thanksgiving dinner and it was more fun when like the stores didn't open until like midnight because right. my friends and I would all get together and we go to like Walmart and Target because they always had the, the top video games for like 20 bucks. So my friends and I would like go have Thanksgiving dinner. 
then we'd like take a nap and we'd all like get hyped up on coffee and energy drinks. And then we'd go out like shopping to all these places and wait in the lines from like 12 a.m. until whenever we were done at six. And then we'd go back home and like play the video. I remember getting like the Modern Warfare 2 for super cheap and like Left 4 Dead for super cheap, like all that stuff. And it got kind of a lot less fun Black Friday shopping when they started opening everything at like 5 p.m. on Thanksgiving. Yeah, like that's terrible. a Black especially Friday. for like, people that have to work. By the way, like hey, leave your even... family and go work yes. at five. Terrible family. Yeah, like like if, why why like I'm having Thanksgiving dinner. I'm trying to get my Thanksgiving dinner done at three to then pop out to go to Walmart to get a video like to get a toy. Like I'm good, man. Like that that's when it became lame. So like the last three years, ever the same exact deals are all on online why not just google everything i know marissa has been hunting down a, a playstation if she ever finds one of them she gotta pick up two because i'm trying to get my my hands on one of them and i think I'm, everyone I'm all... is trying to find one <laughs> yeah like, i'm all over that stuff i want a playstation I want if the Xbox. anyone Someone has any me tips Xbox. tell me not connor <laughs> yeah drop them in the comments yeah yeah drop them yeah. in the chat exactly but yeah I, i've 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 been a big i'm all online now though because it's just the same deals are there i'll actually make my list when we're done here because i I'm, I'm not writing today i wrote yesterday so I'm going to go and make my list of all the places I want to hit and the deals that they have and, and what I want to try to get. I'm usually a big electronic guy. Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And if you really want a great deal, um, come back to The Athletic on Friday because we're going to be running the best deal of the year. I'm not available yet, but if you hang on a few days, $1 per month for a full year, um, the best deal you'll find for The Athletic. If you want to get it, come back on Friday, theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter. Connor's at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Marissa's at Marissa underscore Morris. Have a great day, everyone. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.